Hey, welcome everyone to Wednesday's, our midweek prophecy update. And before we get going, I want to remind you, uh, make sure you go to hopeforourtimes.com. Uh, that's my website. You can get all of our information there. And also, well, we may still have room for the Prophecy Conference coming up in Huntington Beach in June. You can check that out too at hopeforourtimes.com on the events page. Uh, but with that, uh, let's get going. Uh, we're going to talk today about Isaiah 17 and Damascus, Ezekiel chapter 38, the Gog-Magog invasion, and then I'm also going to be asking my guest about the Abraham Accords and a couple of other things if we can fit it all in in our time. Uh, my guest today is, is uh, uh, David Tao. David, thank you for being here again with me today. Well, again, glad to be here, and it's, it's kind of awesome to be here among people who do show the support and the love for Israel that we are lacking so much right now. Amen. It's always great having you here. Well, it's, it, there's a lot of loaded things just in what I just said. So, but this comes out of Israel today. This article says Israeli army lures Hamas into death trap. And uh, you and I talked a little bit about that. You can comment on any of these, and then we're going to get into what I want to with Isaiah 17 and Ezekiel 38. This from the Jerusalem Post. Israel showed the United States the smoking gun on Hamas in AP office tower, officials say. Then this one, uh, AP pretends it didn't know it was sharing a building with Hamas. So, I, you I know. Don't, I don't think, I saw, I saw the, uh, the, how do you say, the manager of the AP office in the building mm -hmm. that was brought down with his cute little Band-Aid on his nose. And, um, and, I think he kind of wiggled about when they, he was asked whether he knew or he didn't know. Mm -hmm. He was very unconcisive. They didn't even they didn't pretend that they didn't know. They just kind of wiggled out of the question, meaning they knew what was going on. They didn't answer it. They didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, how could you not know Hamas is in there? Your AP, this is AP. Um, Associated Press. I, I like the fact that, you know, these are journalists who are supposed to be getting, are supposed to be specialists in, in getting information and maintaining information, yeah. not having that kind of information about what's going on two floors below them in the building where their offices yeah. are. Ah. Yeah, and it would lead me to believe that AP is actually helping Hamas. Now, I, from my perspective, that's what I would that's the opinion I would form. But well, here's the thing. They know what's going on. I mean, we have actually videos of Hamas rockets being fired from outside the window of the AP offices. <laughs> so, 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 so so they know. Yeah. I mean, how could they not know? Yeah, they hear the rockets going by, by their ears. And and again, they thought that because they are AP. And here's the thing. The Hamas thought that because they were in the same offices with AP, then uh, and the Al Jazeera for for all intents and purposes, then they would be defended. Again, this is hiding behind civilians, hiding behind journalists, hiding behind you know the the, the press in order to uh, give themselves an advantage that they wouldn't have militarily. Mm -hmm. I, I just find it quite interesting. And speaking of this advantage, so there's this other news story that broke over the weekend, I think on Sunday, and it has uh, these, um, they're claiming that the press was manipulated by the Israeli intelligence or Israeli press to lure Hamas into a trap. Uh, some 
and I'm reading it going, the, the whole thing to me is laughable, but as I read the different articles about it, it sounds like a, an, a writer was tricked by their own devices, basically thinking they're getting real information. They went and reported it. They tell Hamas, because they're trying to save Hamas, and it turns out it was the whole... Th- that, 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 that they were the, uh, for lack of a better word, they were the, uh, the um, little worm on the edge of the hook that the IDF used. Uh, it wasn't about uh, the Israeli press, it was by the IDF spokesman who led, okay. led drop that Israel was planning on entering uh, the uh, Gaza Strip and that Israeli forces were conducting um, actions inside Gaza. Now, which is true because artillery is firing into Gaza, Air Force is firing into Gaza, but they take that to mean that Israel is starting the land incursion, meaning tanks and, and APCs going into Gaza. So all of the Hamas operatives left their deep bunker hideaways and used a very intensive tunnel system that's going through Gaza in order to reach positions to fight off the Israeli incursions. The things that we know where the tunnels are. So the minute that happens, uh, I think there was 160 airstrikes on something like 12 kilometers of tunnels in different places, and a lot of those fighters got caught in the tunnels. Now, the uh, press was very, very upset that they were used in this way or manipulated in this way, uh, and they felt very, very bad for what happened, and they were upset with the IDF who manipulated their, their news coverage. But here's the thing. They have been manipulated by the other side for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I still remember is that you have all of the AP uh, reporters in there. You have all the Al Jazeera reporters in there. You have thousands or, or hundreds of reporters that are the best reporters in the world in this tiny little area where 2,000 rockets have been frost fired from. Not one of them has managed to get a picture of the Hamas fighters from firing the rockets. Yeah. I mean, no, they haven't done it. They haven't seen the rockets coming out from the street on the left or the street on the right. They haven't managed to put a picture in there. No, they haven't. They are being manipulated to show only one side of the battle and not to show the other. So there's no objectivity in them. But here's the thing. When uh, they are being manipulated by the other side, nobody says and nobody cries. When they're being manipulated by the Israeli side, then then everybody's upset. Yeah, and they're upset also, I believe, because they were warning Hamas this is what's going to happen. Totally. So it, it shows me, for lack of other terms, they're, they're in bed with Hamas. Oh, totally. And, and you look at this and go, the absurdity of it, you're in a war, those bad Israelis, they misled us in wartime, and and that's not right because our friends were were. Well, it's it's another indication of the difference between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And again, I see more and more people trying to make a a moral equivalence between both sides. But Israel doesn't tell the AP or the Al Jazeera news outlets what kind of reporters and what to report in Israel. We don't tell them. That's why we will see things sometimes, you know, and and, uh, sometimes we get caught making mistakes. Uh, The Hamas tells the reporters inside Gaza, we will tell you what to report. We will tell you how to report it. We will tell you when to report it. And they are being used as part of the pawns. And again, 
Uh, it's a difference between a modern democratic system with all of its problems, with free press, and a system that has no free press. And again, I don't understand why people make the moral equivalence between both sides. If you believe in democracy and free press, you know what side of this argument you're supposed to be on. Uh, let me ask you these three questions, because uh -oh. I'm going to go really long if we don't get to them, which uh, I, I have a habit of doing. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 17, there's a prophecy I believe is still going to be fulfilled in the future. I have some of my colleagues say, no, this has already been done in the past. James Cadiz, who you know, happens to agree with me on it. But it's a prophecy about the city of Damascus being destroyed, I mean completely eliminated in the process of a night, uh, one night. The way in the evening and Damascus, in the morning, Damascus will be no more. In the evening it begins, Damascus no more in the morning. So it appears from my understanding of it, the IDF is involved, the Damascus is eliminated, um, and so I want to ask you this, based on that, I think of Hezbollah from the north in Lebanon. Uh, Hezbollah is an Iranian proxy fighter, mm -hmm. um, very heavily armed and very well funded. So I think of them in the north, you have Hamas in the south and also in the west of, of, of Jerusalem. Um, and then I think of Damascus itself, from what Syria. I've been in Syria. So when I think, I've heard of Damascus in the past, that it is a basically a warehouse for terror organizations yep. and even for weapons. What's the story on that? Well, in a nutshell, um, how do you say, uh, Syria is going through a self-destruct mm -hmm. phase. I mean, the, the Syrian civil war has uh, almost completely disintegrated any central government or almost any central government. It's it's divided up into enclaves and, and you never know who's holding on to enclave. The Syrian government is holding some of it. Hezbollah, literally, which is an Iranian-based terrorist organization, is holding up to some of the enclaves. I mean, Syria is also where ISIS was was setting up camp and Al-Qaeda was setting up camp in for, for a while there until they fell apart. So there's this kind of wild, wild west element in Syria and the center where all of these uh, kind of the tombstone of, of the wild wild west is the city of Damascus and everything that it means. The prophecy talks about the, the destruction of Damascus in the night and in modern terms the only way to do that is some kind of really heavy bombardment or or some kind of serious uh, weaponry maybe even on on the verge of something nuclear. Um, I don't see Israel news using a nuclear weapon in, in, on Damascus unless uh, something comes out of Damascus that is on that level. Israel will never use uh, its final weapon unless it is under an existential threat. And, and let's make that sure. very, very clear. So um, I don't know what the scenario would kind of be, but we are looking at 
if the Hezbollah can do this in the north and the Hamas can do this in the south, and even the Houthis can hold all of Saudi Arabia on, on the edge of a, of, of a drone stick, then uh, think of all of this coming together on top of Israel, and then somebody throws in a chemical warfare in the middle of that, then uh, you know we could see something completely like that. So again, you don't have to be Joe Rosenberg to put up a scenario that, that creates these kind yeah. of systems. These things, we're seeing it kind of going in that direction. Well, Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, has threatened chemical warfare against Israel. And from what I understand, Hezbollah has uh, their missiles. They have actually missiles that are strategically guided. Mm -hmm. So they're much more, much better equipped than Hamas's. And again, funded by Iran and directed by Iran. So I look at it and I can imagine all kinds of scenarios, especially when out of Iran, you guys are threatened every day from Iran, it seems. Oh, no. They want to eliminate Iran Tel Aviv. Israel, they want to eliminate. Israel should be wiped off the map. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they're not, they have no qualms in, in saying. And again, I, I, here's where I don't understand why our allies and the people who kind of take morality seriously uh, even are siding with the the side that says you know Israel should be wiped off the map if Israel said Iran should be wiped off the map we'd have the whole world coming down on, on like a ton of bricks and again this lack of how do you say uh, of fairness that we believe is to a certain extent much much deeper than just ideas and there, there's something there but again I, I have to put together a lot of different scenarios and it is getting scarier mm -hmm. in the Middle East yes okay. uh, let's switch from Isaiah 17 and Damascus to Ezekiel 38 it's the Gog Magog invasion with Persia uh, with Turkey um, and then I believe also with Sudan and Ethiopia and probably even Libya that are coming against Israel from the south so when I look at Russia, Russia has their hands in all of these areas that the Bible speaks of. And also in Ezekiel 38, I can't remember which verse, I think it's verse 7 or 8, says that Gog, uh, the leader of Magog, so the leader of Russia, will be a guard for the troops that are coming against Israel. I look at Syria, Russia is heavily involved in Syria. They seem to be forming some kind of an alliance with Iran already. And I'm reading lately because of all the uprisings going on in Jerusalem, Turkey no, is now I'll, saying... I'll tie in, I'll tell you okay. more stuff if you want to. Because, please, yeah, please again, do. Because, uh, again, one of the interesting things is that uh, the Russians have moved uh, very sophisticated anti-aircraft systems into Syria in order to guard the Iranian assets in Syria. So you've got Iranian elements in Syria being uh, umbrellaed uh, from an uh, air defense point of view uh, by the Russians. And, and you're starting to see part of how all of that's coming together. Uh, I, we're hearing about Libya, which is on the northern uh, edge of Africa, or in the northern mm -hmm. part of Africa, on the southern part of the Mediterranean Sea, allied with Turkey in the growing economic struggle that's happening in the eastern Mediterranean between Israel and its gas, natural gas mm -hmm. assets in, in the Mediterranean Sea that we are interested in, in actually um, piping into Europe 
but Turkey, which is on the north part of the Mediterranean, and Libya is on the southern part of the Mediterranean, have reached some kind of an agreement to be a counteraction to that. And you're, you're seeing these, these economic and political strifes coming up. And add on the fact that the United States of America is losing its mojo, for lack of a better word, uh, and is showing weakness on the world stage. And you see the, um, the beginnings of a much bigger struggle that is happening on a world stage with Israel actually being the, how do you say, the, the flashpoint in the middle of all of this. Do you think, or, or do you even know if there's many Israelis that have a concept of the Gog Magog and War of Ezekiel 30? I, I, I know think, Joel Rosenberg writes about it. Yeah, but so he'd be Israeli, but. I think most Israelis are more into what's going on right now and how are we going to get through this year and the next year. Um, we're not, I think most secular Israelis for sure, but even the more traditional Jews don't see prophecy in the same way that, that we, uh, we're living it. But I don't think Israel sees that as actually happening, not yet. Okay. Um, with Israel, Israel's developing the oil and the gas, uh, being with you in Israel prior to coronavirus. I love driving along the coast by the Mediterranean or even up uh, the Jordan, the rift. Yeah, the Jordan see, you, you point out these different things. Hey, see that pipeline out there? And I remember standing with you at Jaffa one time and you're looking out there and you can see the big rig that's out there. But, but is Israel, the reports I'm reading, it, that Israel is developing uh, gas, mainly gas, to trade to Europe uh, via Greece and some other nations. Is, Cyprus, that, Greece, is that valid, yeah. what oh, I'm reading? totally valid, totally valid. I mean, Israel found major gas findings offshore, offshore in the Mediterranean, inside the economic, what we call the economic waters of Israel, and is uh, using that for us. We are selling some of that gas to Egypt and, and to Jordan today, but the idea is to put a pipeline through the Mediterranean that goes up through Cyprus, which is found also, and, and actually compete with Russia to sell natural gas to Europe. Uh, which kind of ties in. With That's a huge problem for Russia. For Russia, yes. Which they would like to. And for Turkey. Which it, is well, why I was going to ask about Turkey because Turkey was hoping to develop some gas, well, but apparently have, it's they, out of their. It's out of their. It's out of their economic reach, right? order. They That's don't have any natural gas, but part of the Russian pipeline is going through Turkey, so they have a joint interest in here. Okay, so Russia's Russia. So you see Russia, Turkey, then. Iran, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that these nations are lining up like this. Totally. And then, again, watching what's happened on the Temple Mount just in the last week, where Turkey, as uh, Erdogan of Turkey, has told Putin, hey, we need to, we need to straighten out this Jewish problem, is basically what he said. Well, we need to teach Turkey's them a lesson. Turkey's been trying to light the fire as much as possible. I mean, uh, 
when you want to check out, you know, who's on what side, look at who's jumping up and down and, and enjoy at what's going on. And the Turks are really, really enjoying what's going on in the Middle East right now. Uh, Putin is probably saying to himself, okay, the more destabilized it gets here. And, and maybe one of the things that we're not really thinking about, I mean, there is a world power that is sitting on the sidelines watching all of this happen and, and, and kind of wringing his hand saying, okay, the more balagan, the more complicated it is over there, uh, the more we can get along with our plans. And I'm talking mostly of China, which is leading uh, the world right now in the Security Council, uh, which is trying to get the Security Council to pass a resolution that would uh, how do you say, um, blame Israel for what is going on. And the question is what, I mean, why do they have an interest? They have an interest in destabling everything and then coming in as the great savior. Now, don't get so, me wrong. It's all interaction. Israel has a pretty good relationship with Russia right now. I don't know if you know, we have kind of, uh, we have economic relationships with China. So it's all mixed in. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the near future. So China would even be interested in a destabilized Middle China East. would be very much be interested in a destabilized Middle East because the more destabilized it gets, the more uh, people will be turning to China mm -hmm. for uh, representation and, and whatever. We can help you. Exactly. We, are, we are here to help. A destabilized United States, China probably really loves. Totally. I think, I'm thinking Putin totally. loves that I too. I mean, they were dancing in the streets in, in Beijing when your, the, the results of your election came in. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I want to talk about the Abraham Accords. We don't have enough time, but thank you very much well, for- let's do uh, a few more of these. I mean- We're, we're, we're going to. <laughs> well, but, but I will add maybe one thing. Um, what we're doing here is really important because one of the things that I'm finding is that truth needs to prevail. And people are, are, are dropping the need for truth uh, and fulfilling in some other void. So the more truth we can actually get out there, I think the more important. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks great having us. you here. I know you want to get back home, but, yep. uh, but, well, that's but gonna great be having soon. you. Yeah, all right. And thank you everybody for watching this. Listen, please like and share this video. And again, go to hopeforourtimes.com. I would really appreciate it. God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.